Okay, this morning we want to go into the two heads. The head that Adam is and, and the head that Christ is. And this will go into helping us understand uh, positional truth so that we have a proper experience of it. And of course, I, I'm so thankful for the, the, the epistles, the, the word that God gave to the Apostle Paul for us as his church. And those are very necessary. But what helps us is we can look back in the types and we can get a f complete, full understanding. And even in that sense, without even really going into prophecy in, in a huge way, but we can, see, we can see its development stages. There's no question about it. So, but again, back in, in Genesis, we know in the first chapter, in verses uh, 26 and 27, is the fact that, that God created man, in terms of Adam, in his image, in his image. And we talked about it the other day, and, and, and it's the prayer that God, the Holy Spirit, gave the Apostle Paul to write. I pray God, in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. Because, again, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So, and the formation and reality of the new image that we have um, in, in Christ is that image that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit played a part in forming that new image about who we are in Christ. Now we still, in Romans 8 verse 9, we still have the flesh in us, but we're not of it. Again, we stress, and, and, and God has me stress it again and again in my own life, and I just want to do it this morning. Those two words, in and of, when we read the scriptures, are very, very, very important. So he created, God created Adam in his image. And then we know, through, then he gave him the woman, and we, we brought that out about marriage. Um, I think it was... Wednesday, because today's Friday. I think it was Wednesday we went into that. And when he said he created man and he, he, he gave them dominion, and, and that was even before he created, took the woman out of Eve. Okay, before, before Eve, the mother of all living, came out of Adam, Ish, and Isha, before that happened, they, they, he called them them. And that never would have been said if we didn't understand the seed of the woman in Genesis 3, verse 15, and not understanding in Revelation 13, 8, that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth, the original creation of the earth, long before that. And this was a mystery that Paul talks about in Ephesians 3, 5, and 8. It's a mystery, not in the terms of that it was mysterious, but that it hadn't been yet revealed Fully. And that's why we have these, these precious epistles that God gave the Apostle Paul for us as his church. But we can look back and glean from these scriptures because we see the fact that the seed plot, the seed, right? The seed plot of the whole Bible is in Genesis. God created man in his image. Would he have ever created man in a fallen state? No. Never. He never would have. 
Okay, so the creation of man that he had in his mind was who they were in Christ, whether it was the Jewish nation as their Messiah, in that sense, but in, uh, in, in ruling over them, but in the sense that we are the church, the most intimate people group, we are in Christ. And those things are incredible. So we see that the whole seed plot of the Bible is in Genesis, and there we have man's entire history in seed plot, and we can see it. And we can see, by the time we get to the fourth chapter, and, and if we look at those and, and 25 and, and 26, for instance, let me just read these, and I'll, I'll be very, very quick as far as reading them, because we, I believe that God would have us to get into a lot of substance this morning, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to record it all, because for some reason, it, like the phone didn't charge. That's Juddy L's fault, but we'll forgive him. <laughs> That'll have to be edited. Because <laughs> it's really not his fault. Now, so by the time Adam and Eve, they fell, and then we see Cain, there were two sons, Cain and Abel. Okay? Those are the types of the two heads. Cain and Abel. We're going to get into those. But he also, he then, he then had, after Cain slew Abel, then he got another son, and that son's name was Seth, Seth, or as the Hebrew says, Sheth. So we see that crystal clear. So we see that again in, in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 25. It says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth, which is really Sheth. For God said, for God, she said, Eve, has appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain, who, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also, listen, there was born a son, and his name was called Enos, or in the Hebrew, Enosh. And these are very, very key to understand the truth. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. They began to call themselves in their right image, after God. That's what it really says in the Hebrew here. That's what they began to do. And so here we are. Here we are. Now, again, we're going to see the two heads. We're going to see the two heads there. So, we see this. Number one, Cain, Cain, okay, was a religious man. He brought, and you see that in the fourth chapter, in the very beginning of those verses, he brought an offering. He offered, all right? He was a religious man, okay? But what do we see? What do we see? Abel, what was he? Who was Abel? He was a man of genuine faith. He had genuine, absolute dependence upon God the choice of God's sacrifice as his dad, Adam, had taught him in Genesis 3, verse 15. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent and his, his heel would be bruised. And that is a picture 4,000 years into the future where Christ would come 
who was and is the Son of God in John 1.1, and he would put on humanity in John 1.14, be born of a woman in Galatians 4, verse 4, under the law, to redeem them that were under it. And there's where these types and these names, they're full of meaning to understand them, and we'll, we'll get into them a little bit uh, this morning, uh, hopefully. Now, again, and who is he who's able? He is a man of genuine faith. Where were they all born, though? They were all born outside of Eden. They were born outside of paradise. They were born, okay, in the world system. That's where they were born, okay? Because we see the formation of that world system by the time you get to those uh, the, the fourth chapter of Genesis, you see six, you start to see 16 and 17, and all the way to the 26th verse in Genesis. You'll see where the births happened and where they were and the result of them. Now, listen, there was nothing, listen to this one, there, is, there was nothing to distinguish between Cain and Abel naturally. They were both sinners. Both. They were neither, neither one in comparison was better than the other. But one certainly was better off because he brought a better, more excellent sacrifice. You will see that in Hebrews the 11th chapter in those first few verses where Abel brought a better, more excellent sacrifice. Now, there was nothing to distinguish them naturally, okay? There was nothing to distinguish them. They were both sinners, and they both had a fallen nature. Neither of them was innocent. Adam was the only innocent man, and it didn't last too long. Left on his own with his will not submitted, and that, and that is Eve, and where, where did Eve... Where was she? And was Adam just as responsible for that, without a doubt? Because Eve, as we see in the scriptures, was deceived. You see that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 and 13. She was deceived, but Adam actually transgressed. He knew better, but he stepped over anyways. So we see this clearly, but what we see is this. We see, and this is where we get order. We see in order. And in that order, God's order, what do we see? What we see is this. We see the reality of divine grace and the integrity of faith. And in the substitute that Christ is, when we submit, we see it fully and distinctly. Distinctly in terms of completely separate from the natural. You can see that, and we'll see that even as believers. Yes, the flesh is in us, but we're not of it in Romans 8, 9. We'll see the clarity of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 16. We'll see it clearly. Because in that chapter, in verse 14, the natural man, what? Receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him, because he's too busy too busy thinking apart from God because the will has not been yet submitted. 
Now, all of this we see very clearly. Now, we're going to get into it a little bit. So what we see here in seed form is man's whole history upon earth. It is. It's man's whole history. It's in the world that now is. And what is the world that now is? It's the world system. It is that world where Jesus said Satan has nothing in him. And Jesus was in this world by in, in, in humanity. We see that in Hebrews chapter 2, 9 through 18. We see that in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. We see it crystal clear in the scriptures. And this is why we give the scriptures, and this is why they're so very important. Because when you get these scriptures, if you don't know where they are, but they're given to you, you can write them down, and you can get a whole preponderance and understanding of the communication of the will and word and love and grace and dependence that's so necessary for us. It is so very, very necessary for us. So, this is the world that now is. John 12, 31 and John 14, 30. It is Satan's usurped world system that Christ said himself in John 17, verse 14, that he was not of this world. In other words, anything about him was not a constituent part of that world system of which Satan is the author. And then he said in John 17, verse 16, and this is the Lord's high priestly prayer, neither are you and I, listen to this, of this world system, because we are of Christ. Everything, everything that constitutes who we are is of Christ. It's got not a thing to do with the natural. Not one single thing for any of us. Not a single, single thing. Now, so, what world do we belong to? I'm going to tell you what it is. It's a heavenly world. It's far above. That's why we're called a heavenly people. Because our position is where Christ is and he dwells in the heavens. That is our position. We see that clearly in Ephesians, the first chapter. And you can go from, from 18 to 23 in that. And you also can see it in Ephesians 2, verse 6. We are seated in him in the heavenlies. And how far above is the heavens, the earth? How far above of it? Above that it is. So we are from a different world. Now, who is Cain? What is his type? This is his type. The type of Cain is the type of the self-righteous Jew. The religious man. Do you know that except a Jew receives Christ today and becomes part of the body, he still is this way? That's why everything that's going on in Israel right now, even though it prospers, still allowed of God, but still not of him, because they're going to be yet overrun completely. And then Christ comes back, and we come back with him. In Revelations, the 19th chapter, in verses 11 through 16, he deals with Israel as a nation. We see that again in Revelations chapter 1 and verse 7. Crystal clear in the scriptures. And I don't know how you could get a formula if you don't have the substance of that formula. And this is the chapter and verse in the scriptures that we're given. And, and uh, it just it takes practice. But thank God 
that we can grow in that practice when we're dependent. So we see it crystal clear in the scriptures that Cain is the type of the self-righteous Jew, listen, the Pharisee who brings his gift to God. Now you're in Luke, the 18th chapter, and you'll see the difference in verses 10 to 14 and Luke, the 18th chapter. You will see. One brought a gift and thought he, he was the equal of that gift when he brought it and was looking at the poor other sinner who would just beat his heart and thinking that he could earn his way and all this other one was, and he looked at him and said, I thank God I'm not like him. <laughs> that's the religious Jew. That's the flesh. Listen, folks, listen. That's the flesh that's in us, but that we're not of. But we can make certainly wrong judgments, okay, about others. In doing so, it's about God. But the poor sinner, the publican as it's called there, the poor sinner just beat his chest and he said, literally, he said, he, he, when he was saying, have mercy on me, okay, what he was saying is be propitiated. Be propitiated. It speaks of a substitute. That's what it speaks of there. And so here we see this very clear. It is the Pharisee who brings his gift to God. Listen, knowing nothing of faith's way of acceptance knowing nothing of it. Do you remember in John 1.10, it says he, when Christ came, he came into the world, that whole world system, and the whole world system knew him not. They didn't think he was any different than any other human being. Ah, eh, that's Jesus. Ah, eh, yeah, I know. He's a, you know, Joseph's the carpenter, you know, Mary's his mom, you know. They're pretty poor. They live in Nazareth in John 1.46. And can any good thing come out of Nazareth? No. Huh. Truthfully. But John 1.11 says he came unto his own, the Jewish people, the nation, and his own rejected him. They said in John 18.40, not this man. They said, furthermore, murder him, crucify him in John 19.15. He knows nothing, Cain, the Cain flesh, the fleshly Cain, knows nothing of faith's way of acceptance or even acknowledging its lost, irreparable, position. They'll, their, con, their absolute condition and their condition of the, and the expression of it through pride just reveals their absolute irremediable, unchanging nature. That's why it says in Jeremiah 30 verse 12, their wound is incurable. That's why it says for the believer that receives Christ, their flesh and Romans 6, 1 through 6, has been crucified. It's been done away with, and we have a new nature, and that's why in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, we know no man after the flesh, because it says all things, he makes all things new, Revelations 21, verse 5. But we have a new nature. All things are new in him. That's the new nature, the new image, the new reality, the new position that we're to experience. And that's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Now, look what it says. He'd know nothing of his lost condition, who after, listen, the Pharisee, who after the death of Christ, who is the offer, offerer, Christ offering himself, 
as the only acceptable sacrifice. What have we got to offer God? Tell me. Gosh, not a single thing. But at the hands of his own people, that's brought out in Zechariah the 13th chapter, verses 6 and 7. They said, where did you get these wounds? Where are these wounds that are in your hand? He said, I was wounded in the house of my friends. That brings out, that's prophecy. That brings out the reality. When Christ comes back in Revelation 1, 7, it says, behold, he comes with the clouds. That's all of us and a host of angels and millions of born-again believers in Christ coming back to the earth. And it's like a cloud that blocks out the sun to so many of us. And then it says, every eye will see him. Better see him while you can before we, while we still have an internet, by the way, not to go into those things. It says, and every eye will see him, and they which also pierced him. And who pierced him? The, Jew, the Jews. They gave him over to the Romans. And the Romans, because of the Jews, murdered him and got rid of him. Or so they think. Because if I understand 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, we know if they had known that, it would mean this kind of victory, this kind of life, this kind of reigning supreme Christ himself and us in him, they never would have crucified him. We have all of this going for us in positional truth. Now, here it is. He was cast out. Cast out. Just like Cain was. And you see that again in Genesis chapter 4, starting at the fourth verse all the way to the 16th verse. You'll see it. He was cast out of the land in which God had made known his presence. I mean, he made known. He, he made it known. Listen, this is the sacrifice. What you brought is rejected. But you know what it's saying here? He's saying here that the sin offering lies or crouches at the door. Some would interpret it so sin lies at the door. In other words, your sin is lying at the door. It's not what it says. It's not what it says. You have to research it and dig it out. But I'm telling you, this is what it says. Okay? What it's teaching is if there's still a sin offering right at the door for you to take, and he didn't take it. He didn't receive it. He didn't take it, and he did not receive it. But it still was there, and he refused it. That's why we said that's Cain, and that's why we say that's the Pharisee. That's the flesh. That's the flesh in every single one of us. And we're no different in our flesh. But we're certainly one in Christ. We're certainly one in him. So he was cast out. He was cast out of the presence of God by his own choice because he would refuse to bring the right sacrifice. In Christ, sin can't be in his presence. Back at 113, his eyes are so pure he can't even look upon sin. That's why it says in Psalm 51, verse 4, I, when I, I sinned and did this evil in your sight. I sinned and didn't, did that evil in your sight. It's evil. So he went out. And guess where he, he landed? It, he, he went out as a vagabond, a wanderer in Nod. That speaks of all that's left is now you go into the world system, and that world system is designed to bring out 
and supply all those lusts of the flesh. You see that in 1 John chapter 2, 15 and 16. Crystal clear in the scriptures. I don't know, I say it again. I don't know how else to do it, but, you know, the scriptures are the word. The word is God's will. And there's a way to understand it. So the type here is crystal clear. I mean, it's without doubt when you understand the preponderance of all the scriptures. But listen, and here's, what, here's what's good for us to understand. But within the individual saint, the individual believer, there's that same breach. There's that same separation. Realized, and Cain and Abel have their representatives in us. We still have Cain's flesh. We have this flesh in our own individuality. But we're in Christ in Romans 8, 9. Now, this is very key in the types to understand Understand positional truth so that it becomes our experience, and it's the beginning stage of prophecy, too. So we can see this crystal clear in the scriptures. So what do we see? That same breach is realized, hopefully, in the believer, that Cain and Abel have their representatives. That's why it says right here, this is what Paul was saying through the Holy Spirit, and we know it was God the Holy Spirit speaking it through the Apostle Paul. This is what he said to those that he was, as a guide, bring into Christ their proper position so that their experience would be the equal of that, and Christ would have his glory, his every place, and they would have a proper experience and blessing. This is why he said in Galatians 4.19, my little children of whom I travail again and, and birth again until Christ be formed, did you? I'm praying. My labor, not just the word, but prayers for people. That's why it's necessary for leaders in Acts 6 verse 4 to give themselves to prayer and know the individuality and know and discern in brokenness, what's going on in those lives as God would make that real to those that are there so that he can minister the word properly. Positional truth, especially for the Christian, so that their experience is that. And this is what, this is what also is said in Galatians 5, verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit. That Cain nature in us. That's ours individually. We would have done the same thing that Adam did. That's why he's called the federal head. That sin nature in Romans 5.12 that was passed on through the obedience, the disobedience of one and the obedience of the other. And we see that in Romans, the fifth chapter, verses 12 through 19. See it crystal clear. But I like the end of 21. Okay. All right. Where sin abounded, Galatians 5, uh, Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, listen, grace did much more, far more, over and above it, superabounded. Where sin abounded, grace superabounded so that we could live in the righteousness that's ours in Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. Crystal clear in the scriptures that this is the flesh, lust against the spirit, in Galatians 5:17, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are what? Contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. This would do away with the lie, false teaching of one naturism, and some would interpret one naturism as the exchange life, and that's not the proper teaching of the exchange life, and also it will do away with lordship salvation that somehow. Apart from Christ, 
we have to produce fruit when it's already ours in Christ, according to John 15, 1 through 5, and according to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, based upon again Psalm 92, verse 14, and Hosea 14, verse 8. This has to do with the fruit that is ours in Christ apart, having nothing to do with the flesh. So, here he is again. We have that same breach in us. Cain gives us the flesh. Listen to this, folks, in Christ. Cain gives us the flesh, listen, in its spiritual significance. And what is that? Self-righteous, Christ-rejecting, and away from God. Yet, did God put a mark on Cain so he wouldn't be touched? Yes, he did. He was mocked, says not to be slain by human hand. In other words, outside, outside of the government of God, which was established in Genesis, the ninth chapter, government began to be again, even though it was abused in the ninth chapter of Genesis. Now, so here we see Abel, on the other hand, is that which is of God in us. As newborn, listen to this one, folks, but as known, listen, in, here's that word in, experience, simply. Known, in, that's who we are in Christ, experience, measure of our position, simply. And that's, what do I mean by simply? This is what God gave the Apostle Paul to teach. This, and he's teaching the Corinthians who are rejecting him, rejecting the fact that he's an apostle, a messenger of God, just rejecting him like we would do to each other in the flesh if we don't function in Christ. He says it, and it's very sarcastic here in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly. And indeed, bear with me, for I am truth, he says. Truth, this isn't sarcastic. I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you one husband, one head, and that's Christ. One head. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But what was his fear? He said, but I fear lest by any means. You think the enemy is by any means going to continue to keep the Christian in the flesh. By any means, listen to me, by any means. Not coming when the word's available. Not coming and hearing it taught precisely, crystal clear. Not, not coming when you have the option to do so. Again, within schedules, and God knows schedules, I have to qualify it. He knows schedules. But thank God we can record these things. Still face-to-face, but... And when we can't, there's still a provision. But I feel as by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds, do you hear this? So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That simplicity is having a proper experience. That's why we said right here, but it's known, known in experience simply. You know, the word of God becomes simple to us because he gives grace to those that he's humbled in James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. He gives them more grace. And that's why Christ said, listen, if you labor, if you're, if you're heavy, if, you, if, you're, if you're laboring and heavy laden, if you labor, come unto me. And that means a yoke. That's a yoke. 
And we need a yoke because the yoke speaks of restraint. We need to keep near him because that's when we're at our best. And when we keep near him, that position is revealed to us in the nearness that we have in Christ in our experience as the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13, and 14 takes the things of Christ and shows them unto me. That goes into the fact that we do have the Holy Spirit as our teacher in 1 John 2, 20, and that we don't need just any man to teach us these things in 1 John 2 and verse 27. But we have that anointing. There's no such thing as, as several different kinds of anointings. The anointing itself is God the Holy Spirit. He doesn't need the flesh's performance, weeping or otherwise, to be that. Furthermore, it has nothing to do with the emotions. When it says my experience, it's, listen, that is talking about facts, truth in the mind, and has nothing to do with emotions. That will do away with all the false teaching of those 20 to 26 different anointings. It'll smash it in a million pieces. <laughs> okay, Lord, thank you. Listen, that's what we have in us. It's a thing, though, very important to know here, the two different natures. One that's in us and the other that we're not of. Okay, of. Constituted, a constituent part of another substance or reality. That's of. A constituent part of, which means everything. Because we have the flesh, and that's why Jesus said in John 6, 63, the flesh profits nothing but the words that I speak unto you. They are spirit, Holy Spirit, and they are life. The Holy Spirit taking the things of Christ, who is our life, and showing them unto us the truth of our position so that our experience is the equal of it. And again, in that place, with the will submitted through yoke, in that place, he has every place. <laughs> Okay, He has every place and every thought. Listen, our every thought is Christ because who is God's one single thought in every area? It's Christ himself. I'm going to wrap it up here. <clears throat> Just barely scratching it again, but thank God that God can scratch the itch. <laughs> the new nature which we have of God. Notice that there's that word of again. See that? We are not of Adam, we are of God, right? The new nature which we have of God, of course, cannot die. It can't, right? It's eternal, it's of God. But in our experience, this is key. This is teaching us through these types, folks, the truth of our position in Christ to be the equal in our, uh, uh, in our experience. And we can... Take those Pauline epistles, again, yes, it's important, John and Romans for salvation, then to be taught the reality of the book of Ephesians, but including all of this, because in 2 Timothy 3.16, every word of God is God-breathed, it's inspired of God. We need to know these things, and names have tremendous meaning, and we'll get into them, hopefully, a look quickly this morning. Listen, the new nature we have of God cannot die, but in our experience, until we know experientially God's way of power for us, it is just the lesson of death that we have to learn and get to the point where we cry, not who's going to help me in the flesh, but who will deliver me from the body of this death in Romans chapter 7 and verse 24. In other words, if you're going to go forward, 
Going forward means you are going to go down. But that's where Christ meets us, who's our life, you know? He meets us as our life in the place of death, separated from that nature that is, not, that, that is in us, but that we're not of. This is crystal clear teaching in the Scripture. So we see that. It's the lesson that we have to learn by the time. So we have to go down if we're going forward. Again, that's what it's saying in Romans 1.17. We go from faith, mountaintop experience, down again to worked in the reality, faith again. Romans 1.17, back at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We see the vision and the reality of the teaching of it, even there in Habakkuk 2, 1 through 4, and, and, and even further. Make it big, he says there. Make it large so that whoever sees it will see it. Make it large in the preaching. Shout it out. Make it large so that whoever runs by or who happens to be there can actually see it. That's Habakkuk 2, 1 through 4, Romans 1, 17. But that's where we get in Romans, the seventh chapter. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Oh, my God, hold it. I'm already dead in Christ. My position is in him. In 725, I thank God through Jesus Christ. That's, that's Colossians chapter 3, 3 and 4. You died, and Christ, your life is hidden with Christ in God, meaning it's untouchable in its position. Hidden as far as the world knows you. Hidden as far as carnal and natural, carnal Christians begin to know you. It's hidden in Christ. Not meaning you can have a continual proper experience of your reality no matter what comes against you in Romans 8, 31 to 39. These scriptures... I don't, again, don't know how else to do it. I don't have another way to do it. Now, so what do we see? What, are God, what is God teaching us? Teaching us, number one, the hopelessness of effort to produce fruit apart from the new nature. And that is seen in type, listen, in the death of Abel. That's what's pointing to. You ever hear it? That's what it's pointing to. He died. He died. And that in type means even the life of Christ that you have is not left up to you to produce the fruit. What will that do with Lordship salvation? That smashes that into a trillion, hopefully dusty, useless pieces. Gosh. Listen, that's the death of Abel. The flesh unchanged in its evil to the last. They that are in the flesh can't please God in Romans 8, 7. The flesh, unchanged and evil till we see him face to face in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12. It's unchanged. And it's traced, listen, and we're going to wrap it up here, it's traced in Cain's descendants. Because then Cain and Genesis 4, 22 had a son. And they called his name Tubal-Cain. And he was the last son of that particular line. He was the last son, Tubal Cain. So I dug in the Hebrew because I wanted to know. <laughs> Genesis 4, verse 22, Tubal in the Hebrew is Yabal, and it means to flow. 
That's in nature. The flesh and its likes to flow. To bring forth. That's what it means. And it's in the Hebrew, it's the causative stem. It's causative. And with every cause, there's a, an effect. Causative. To bring. To carry. To lead you forth. The enemy through the flesh. It's also of yabul. And that word, again, that combination of those words means it's to produce. It's like a crop. Listen, or a fruit that's produced. Did you know that we're, that Christ, and us in Christ and him, that he's the one new man and we're in him in Ephesians 2, 14 and 15? Did you know that Satan has his one new man, his one old man, but he thinks it's new? That you see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 4 to 7. You see it crystal clear, but it had its start right here. Seed plot, Genesis, realities, realities in the word of God, okay? And it literally means, according to the name, Cain's issue. What issued out of him, apart from Christ? That fleshly line. Then, when we, by the time we come to Seth, what do we see? Seth is he who replaced Abel. Listen. Seth, listen to this, substituted Abel. That brings in the truth of substitution. Crystal clear in the scriptures. Right? We have propitiation. For God to be propitiated, he has to be first. Dealing with a sin question, that's John 1, 29. It doesn't say sins there. It says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin. Did it, did it take away the sins of the whole world? No, it took away the sin. In other words, it dealt with the sin issue and propitiation to God. That's Genesis 22, verse 8. And, and Abraham said in response to Isaac's question, God himself will provide himself a sacrifice. That's propitiation in its first element. Then he becomes our propitiation in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He's the propitiation for our sins, not for the sins of the whole world, like the King James brings it out. No, not at all. You have to realize in Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 4, and you have to realize in Leviticus 16, 1 through 7, the reality of those differences. The reality of it, you know? And we're learning and we're growing. We're going to learn these things. But folks, we're adults. We're not in Sunday school. We're not going to tell sweet little stories and mix things, other things with it. You know? Not, no, I don't want to do that. God doesn't want that done in any of us. Now, according to the name, it's Cain's issue. We have Seth. Okay? This is who we have. And what is he? And he replaces, he replaces Abel. Because Seth means this. This is what it means. And this is what Eve said. And God gave her the name to name him. Set. Set in the, listen to this, in the place. Notice? Place. How many times have you talked about place in the word of God? How many times have you talk about proper image? We have a proper image. We have a proper place. That place is we're in Christ. Set in the place of Abel, man of sacrifice and true faith, and he represents to us Christ, and he represents to us the man in Christ. The man in Christ. Now you get into 2 Timothy 
that whole uh, epistle of 2 Timothy. You can read that whole thing. How to function as a man in Christ, as a man of God in Christ, in the midst of a whole world that's completely in disorder. But function in, in the perfection of God's order in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, thus keeping out confusion in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33. We see it. So that's what that means. Listen, this realized... What does that mean to realize something? Experience it. This experience is that this. What is the teaching of it? That the law of the Spirit, which is the law of the life in Christ Jesus, in Romans 8, 2, which delivers us from the law. You mean the Ten Commandments in Exodus 23 to 17 with those 613 statutes and ordinances that are attached to it? And if you offend in one point, you break the whole thing and you're guilty of the whole thing because it's one in James 2.10. It's not saying that at all. What is the law? Because all the law brought out was what? The flesh. The evil of the flesh. You'll see that in Romans chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. Crystal clear in the scriptures with Exodus 19, verse 8 and Exodus 24 and verse 3. I know, a lot of scriptures today, even probably more than before, but I, I'm, it's the Holy Spirit, folks. I, I can't put these together. Can't do it. But I know he can, and he's doing it. So, it's the law. It is the law. What? The practical. Listen, practical means experiential. The experiential dominion of sin and death through the flesh. It's sin and death through the flesh. The man in Christ, listen, is never a matter of experience. That means, that means emotions. True experience is based on what? Facts, mind, thought, proper thought, and not emotions. And that's why we teach, even with good emotions, are they to direct us? Will they change? Could they change in a heartbeat? We all know this. Come on, we're... We're weak, we're feeble, we're frail. How many of us have done that in a heartbeat? <laughs> I know I have. I know I have. Okay, we're going to wrap it up here. Yes, because we, we have about six minutes left. Listen, the man in Christ is never a matter of feelings, listen, or emotion, but only of faith, only of Christ who we depend upon. In our position, so that my experience is Christ and not my flesh. Seeing ourselves, listen to this, in Christ, now you're in the first chapter of Ephesians, we are lifted out of ourself. Why? We're not of it. We're in Christ. Positional truth bringing into the experience. See? And what do we find? You know what we find? We find a new self in which without pride fleshly pride, we can glory. What is our glory? While in ourselves, what do we do? Do we glory in ourselves? No. Only thing we glory in is our infirmities, our weaknesses, our feebleness, that the power of Christ in 2 Corinthians 12, 5 and 9 may rest upon us. May rest upon us. We see it. Self-occupation is exchanged for occupation with Christ. He was even telling that in the kingdom teaching in Luke 19, 13. Occupy with me till I come. How much more for us as believers in 
Christ. Listen, look at what it says. Occupation with Christ. And then as we do that, and we all, with an unveiled face, was it just the law that was the veil? Or was it the fleshly use of it? The veil. With an open face, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image. Now, that's not the prayer, oh God, change me. We don't pray, oh God, change me in this area. We, we say, thank you, God, that the old is dead and I am in Christ. He's not calling us to die to certain things this, this day, certain areas of our life. He's calling us to reckon on the fact that Romans chapter 6, verses 10 and 11 and 12, that we're already dead. We're to reckon those things already dead and paid for. That why we don't live in false guilt and, and put ourselves on probation and get into all these other foolish, fleshly areas that is not about who we are in Christ. So we're going to finish it here. That's what we are to do in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Faith, absolute dependence, and its blessed effect are right here pictured. When we depend on him, we are blessed. Why? Because that has to do with the glory of God in Christ who's above it all. Above every single thing. So we see then Seth, we see Seth's issue. Right? What is his issue? He has a son. His name is Enosh. Enosh, literally in the Hebrew, means what? Frail man. Oh, frail man in himself. Yes, that's what he produced. What's that? Joel 3.10, 2 Corinthians 12.9. Let the weak, frail, say, I am strong in him. I'm strong in him. Frail man, the opposite of Cain, Lamech, who said he was, and you'll see that in the fourth chapter of Genesis, the strong man. What is God doing in us, in our position, even as we understand and grow in the reality of these types, and as we do, we grow in the proper position and experience? What is he doing? Psalm 102, verse 23. He weakens my strength and shortens my days in that way. Proper experience, going from glory to glory, 2 Corinthians 3.18. So, not like Cain's Lamech, the strong man. No, Seth, Enos. And then you'll see in Genesis chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, it sees that. That was the last, he was the last in the line of that old line. Remember what we said? Tubal Cain? He was, the, he was Cain's last son. Then a new son came, and it's Enos. For frail men. And then it says, then men began to call on the name of Yahweh. <laughs> they began to call, and it literally says this in the original, they began to call themselves after the name and nature of God in their proper image. That's literally what it means. That's literally what it means. And this is what Paul is saying. And he says it in Philippians 3, verse 3. We are the circumcision we are the circumcision, and that means what is circumcised, to cut and do away with, right? We are the circumcision who worship God in spirit. Listen to this. And if we're worshiping God in spirit, by the way, this will go into what, we, what is called Christian worship nowadays, where it's, again, not just the lyrics, 
okay? It's not just the lyrics, but it is the tunes, the rhythms. And that's brought out in 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 11, by the way. Okay? Here is what? What do we have? What do we have? We what? We worship God in spirit, and when we do, we rejoice in Christ. You hear that? We're rejoicing because we have a proper image, a proper place in Christ. He gets the glory, all of it. We're blessed. We are blessed. Here is the full, typical illustration and expression. Here in Philippians 3, verse 3, we are the circumcision who worship God who worships God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ and listen and have no confidence in the flesh. Flesh is in us. It's not our confidence. You think God has to make us less and less confident? You best believe it for all of us. All, listen, all self-confidence, though in the believer, is confidence in the flesh. It's that simple. It's that simple. Now, so what do we have? We have that genealogy. We, the function in Cain, we don't function in Abel either because he can't even produce fruit. He can't even do that in himself. But Seth, Sheth, and his issue only, and then we see the image of God again appears. Because Enosh, you know, Enosh means to be frail. Listen, to be frail feeble. It says this, figuratively, Enosh even means melancholy. It means desperate. It means wicked, incurable, sick, and woeful. What is that saying? Even when we're in our proper nature, when our will is not submitted to him, the flesh becomes active and we begin to be melancholy. We're down. We're discouraged. We're disappointed. You know, disappointment, again, means you're disappointed when you look to others to do something for you that they cannot do, and they'll fail you. To be discouraged means we look within. We become self-occupied, and then in that self-occupation, we become melancholy, we become desperate. You know, I used to hear this, this song, you know, uh, um, back, I think I heard it in Texas the first time, you know, like people, the people that are crying out and they're desperate and their form of worship, even in that song was about the cross and they were desperate, they were desperate. Yeah, but their desperate was the fact that they weren't having a proper experience in Christ. Because I'll tell you how desperate God was and how he dealt with it. He gave us a son. And that goes into the cross. We'll get into that Soon, not today, of course. But wicked, incurable. Jeremiah 30, verse 12, in the flesh, you want, that's your experience. It's incurable. I'm never going to change. You're already dead. Colossians 3, 3, your life is hidden with Christ and God. For Christ, who is your life, when he appears, you will also appear with him in glory. In Colossians 3, verse 4. Sick. Functioning in the flesh, sick. Well, the whole head is sick in Isaiah 1, 5, and 6. From the little top of the little crown to the little piggies. There's no soundness in it. It's running over with putrefying sores, and then it's woeful. Do you remember as we close this morning? Do you remember, and do I remember with you, as God is bringing the truth to us, when there was, and I wish we could see this today as Christians in our political thing of what going, is going on in our country. I wish we could see that. 
Because look at this. Look at what it says. In Isaiah 6, verse 1, in the year that King Isaiah died. You know, when you study this out, Isaiah was a great patriot. Can you imagine having a godly king, godly president for 52 years? <laughs> and then he died. And then it could be fear about what could happen as a result of that death. Listen to this. That was political. But in that year that I died, no, and I was bemoaning it and moaning, oh my God, what, 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 will we, what will I do now? What will we do as a nation? That's when God pulled back the curtain of time and he looked and he said, I saw also the Lord. You know what he was doing? He was sitting upon a throne. You know why? The work was finished. He was in control. High, how high? How far are the heavens above the earth? In Isaiah 55, 8 through 10. How high are they? High and lifted up. In our experience, through the positional truth and teaching, we're to be lift, Christ says, to be lifted up in our experience. And when we do that, that's Song of Solomon 4, 7. You're all fair, my love. There is no spot or blemish in you. So start in Song of Solomon 4, verse 8, looking from the top. <laughs> I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne and high and lifted up and everything about him and his nature filled the whole temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. On, on, not understanding fully. Yet, unfallen angel, not understanding fully the glory of God. That's the first wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. Unbelievable humility in his presence. Oh boy, if we only function in humility in God's presence. Do we know our position? Do we know Christ is our head in Colossians 1.18 and 2.19? Listen, we're going longer today and that's on purpose. And with two, he did fly. Instant obedience. Hear the word? Instantly obey. Instant because that's what obedience is, isn't it? And one cried unto another in an antiphonal worship, a four-part harmony, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Because who does he see? Who does he see on this earth right now? The glory of his son in every one of us. And that's unchangeable. It's unassailable. It's immutable. Can't change and the pulse of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then you know what he said? He said, woe is me. Woe is me. I am a man undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord. Who's the King? Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate state. That's who he sees seated above. It makes it crystal clear. That's the one who put on humanity and did everything for us. Oh, my God. We need woes. That's the flesh. Oh, woe is me. I got to deal with it. Woe is me. I got to change it. Woe is me. I've got to do something so he'll accept me. No. No. Positional truth. Experiential truth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' most holy, precious name. Amen.